Amen. You can have a seat. My name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you, of course, to church, and we're so glad that you are spending time with us today. Uh, this is a great day to start being here at church because we're starting a new series, and I'm really looking forward to walking that through with you. And as Trevor just mentioned, we'll walk through Romans 12 in the course of this. But I wanted to start with a little bit of a survey, and you don't have to raise your hand for this one. I want you to think in your heart what your answer is. Um, would you say, would you make the statement, I am a Christian? Now, I realize that a lot of you who are regulars here at the church, you probably would readily make that statement. And so, sure, that's, that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, there might be a few of you that are exploring your answer to that question. You're wondering if you should become a Christian or you not quite sure what that term means as far as the lifestyle commitment involved, but you're interested. Uh, but my expectation, just looking out at the group here and knowing a lot of you personally, is that many of you would say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I, I am a Christian. So why would you say that? What is it in your mind that identifies you as a Christian believer versus a non-Christian? I think if you go across the world today, you could probably find somewhere in the neighborhood of two billion, maybe more, people that would say, I am a Christian. Some of them are what you might say would be a cultural Christian, so they've just grown up in a culture where Christianity was the norm. Some people are in Christian cultures that look very different from our understanding of Christianity, but they would still have the symbolism and teachings of Jesus in their culture, in their churches. A lot of people would say they're Christians, but when they say that, they might mean different things. It's possible that there are people in this room, like when we say that, we might mean different things. So if we walk it through a little bit and say, well, it could mean that you believe something different than a non-Christian would believe, and you, you probably do, right? If you would say, I, I open up the Bible and I believe what the Bible says. I believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. I believe I should follow him. Those would all be very Christian beliefs. Right? But it's also possible that you would say, I think it's a little bit more than just that. I mean, yes, that's true. But it's not just in my head. There's a little bit more to it. You might say, I'm a Christian because I belong to something. Like when I'm saying that statement, I'm claiming that I'm a part of God's family, or I'm a part of a local church, or I'm a part of the cause of Jesus. I, I'm one of his disciples. I belong in that place. And well, it could have people that believe the right things and I at least show up in the right circumstances, but there's more to Christianity than even that, right? You might, you might say, it's because I walk a certain way that's different from what a non-Christian would walk. And so as I recognize, you know, the, the, the world might be going one direction, sometimes I have to go the other way because I have a different commitment. Because I'm following the way of Jesus, that's going to lead me to make different lifestyle choices or make different character virtue-related choices. Say, well, maybe it's even deeper than that somehow. Um, you could say, I'm a Christian because you're identifying as something. You're saying that the sense of who you are is actually defined by your Christianity. You might even say that being a Christian is the first modifier on any other description of you. So if you think about what makes you 
you. If I just said, hey, like, who are you and what are you, and you were trying to describe it, you say, well, you know, you're a human being. I say, I'm male or female. So you might mention your ethnicity. You might mention your kind of work you do or the place you grew up, the kind of parents you have. Like, there'd be a variety of things that you would try to say that would help frame out who you are. Being a Christian could mean that you put Jesus on top of all those things. So you would say, I'm a Christian first. So like in my case, I would say I'm a Christian, which informs how I act as a man, which informs how I am a pastor and a husband and a father and a worker and a you know, whole host of other things. Is Christian the first identifier on you? You say, I am a Christian. It might mean some mix of all those things. What I'd like to do in our service today as we start this series is find the, the single mark that represents what a Christian is and just make sure that we're all seeing the same thing. Hey, it's, it's right in the scripture. It's not hard to find. But in the confusion of life and the pace of culture, sometimes we can miss the obvious things. So has anyone ever seen this symbol before? It's a little bit washed out there on the screen, but you see what that is? Kind of a little U symbol with a dot up in the middle. That's the, that's the Arabic word, or that's the Arabic letter N, and some people use it to signify Christians. N for Nazarene followers of Jesus who was from Nazareth, the Nazarene. So they would look at that and they would say, you know, kind of in the same way that we have a cross here as an emblem that represents Christianity, um, in some Arab-speaking context, they might use that N to denote who a Christian is. If you remember a few years ago when ISIS um, swept through and took over vast swaths of territory in Iraq before, thankfully, they were pushed back, um, at the height of their caliphate, they started spray painting this letter N on the buildings and properties of Christian believers to mark them as separate, sometimes to mark them for either persecution or imprisonment or death or for that building to be destroyed. They were, they were marking people literally as Christians with that. As they were doing that, it kind of caught, you know, the rest of the world caught wind of what was happening, and many Christians started adopting that symbol as almost a point of uh, pride, I guess, or a point of identification to say, like, we're standing with the Christians in the Middle East because we also are Christians, and we're not ashamed to say it. And so, um, still today, you can find, if you search for that image, uh, you can find hoodies and t-shirts and earrings and all sorts of things with that on it as, a, as another way of stating, I'm a Christian. Now, if you state that and you were to go back to a few years ago, if you were in Iraq or Syria and you were to spray paint that on something that you owned, would, would taking that mark cost you something? Sure. I mean, that would be potentially marking you for all sorts of persecution, Right? In the context we live in, thankfully, in a free society, we can take all sorts of marks and it, we don't necessarily pay an immediate price for it. You, you might. You might pay some relational price if you declare you're a Christian, but for the most part, 
people, as long as you leave other people alone, they kind of leave you alone. And for the most part, especially in a context here where a lot of us come from Christian upbringings, people might even celebrate you if you say you're a Christian. It's not, it's not that way for everyone who follows Jesus around the world. It means something when you raise your hand and say, I'm a Christian. It means more than something in your mind. It means more than the church you go to. It means more than the good things that you do in Jesus' name. It involves all those things, but it means more than that. And what I'm interested in is what does this mark mean for me? What does it mean for you when we would say, yeah, I agree, I'm a Christian. So if, if you're a beginner to all of that, I hope that the next few months of journeying down this road will help you get a very clear picture of what the road of Jesus looks like, what the lifestyle of Jesus, what it means to take Jesus on as your first modifier. If you're advanced and uh, you've been following Jesus for many years and you've studied all of this before, I hope that what this does is directly challenge you to do the things that are the most obvious in your Christian walk. Things that I know as one who loves to study and find out new things, sometimes as I learn the new things, I leave behind the obvious things, and those get neglected. Okay, so we're going to come back to center and say, what does it actually mean to be a Christian and to follow Jesus? And to do that, we're going to study Romans 12. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. Paul wrote this letter. So over the last few months, we've been looking at the book of Acts, which we're which was the historical narrative of what happened in the Apostle Paul's life. While he was traveling, he was also writing letters. So were, so were the other church leaders. John and Peter were writing, James. And as they were writing, they were sort of defining for us what it means to live as a Christian in the context of the, you know, all the crazy circumstances people find themselves in. You say, well, if I'm here in this city, like, how do I follow Jesus there? Or if I'm in this situation, what am I supposed to do to honor Jesus' principles over here? And so Romans was written to the church in Rome, and it's a great, the whole book is amazing. I wanted to show you where Romans 12 fits before we read it, okay? So the first three chapters of the book of Romans help us see uh, what's wrong with humanity. Like, why did God need to get involved in our story to begin with? Then Romans 5 through 8 talks about how God actually saves us, how God reaches out with help. Romans 9 through 11 talks about why God would want, even want to save us. And what we learn in that is that none of us deserve it. So it's all his mercy that even allows us to approach, even allows us to talk about this. The fact that God is merciful, he's inviting us in when we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it. So now we get to Romans 12 where... Paul says, in view of all of that, in view of how much God loves you, in view of the salvation, in view of the mercy, in view of all the things God has done for you, what should you do? What should I do? So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning Don't think that you are better than you really are. 
Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all, or we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if he's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Well, there's a lot there. Right, let's just pause and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us hear what he wants us to learn. Holy Spirit, we see this whole lineup of verses, a lot of clear instruction for our lives, how we should act while we're together, how we should apply our gifts and abilities to serving each other and serving you, what the motivations of our heart should look like, how we can forgive and help others. In all of that, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity about what we're supposed to do. And as we now take time to zoom in on verse 1, would you help us to see the most important distinguishing mark of our Christianity? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for fun, I have three challenges for you this fall. So we're going to spend all fall in Romans 12. Okay, so you can get that, put that bookmark in your Bible there, get used to turning there. We're going to turn there again and again. And each week, we're going to look at a different verse, a different phrase, and zoom in and say, how do we live the way Jesus wants us to live in the light of that verse? Okay? As we want to explore that, I have a couple challenges for you. Uh, and you can pick one, pick all. Um, or if you're you know, kind of uninvolved or just have a bad attitude, you don't have to pick any of these. Okay? Here, here you go. Um, Three fall challenges for you. First of all, just to kind of wear it, okay? So here's what's fun. That symbol, that Arabic N, there's all sorts of swag out there that has been created by all kinds of ministries and churches and t-shirt companies and hoodie companies and jewelry companies. So a quick Google search and you will have all sorts of things 
Uh, and I would encourage you to pick up one of those items and just wear that as a way of marking yourself, to say, I am a Christian. And what's, what's great is some of them don't have any words. They just have, a, just have that symbol, which is you know, kind of curious. So somebody probably might ask you, hey, what does that mean? And it gives a great opportunity to discuss um, your Christian faith. Okay, October surprise. I know this is, for some of you, this is a stretch, all right? But just go with me. If, you were, if you're willing to quote Romans 12, so what we just read, if you commit that to memory, and you say that to a staff member or a life group leader before the harvest party, the end of October, we will give you a mystery bag. Whether that mystery bag is worth anything, you're going to have to find out. It is a mystery, uh, and it's going to take you a lot of work to find out. Um, so some of you who are used to memorizing, you're like, ah, yeah, that's no problem. I've almost got it down already. Uh, other, others of you are going like, 21 verses? That's so I just challenge you, if, if God leads you to say every day, I'm going to wake up and give a few minutes to this, um, you would, you, that, uh, Romans 12 will live in your heart and keep transforming you long after this fall is gone. All right? And then the last one is an art project. And that is, as we study this, there's a lot of concepts that are built into this, a lot of challenge. And if you'd like to take one of those concepts and create something with it, it could be digital, it could be physical, it could be art, it could be music, it could be video, whatever, you know, craft, you name it. If you want to try to figure out a way to communicate one of those principles in a creative way, go for it. And I won't necessarily embarrass you or ask you to show everybody, but well, I probably will ask you to show everybody. I won't force you to do it. But, uh, but we, if, you, if, if you're like, hey, that lights my fire, um, read that text again with the eyes of an artist and see what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Okay, so those are three challenges as we get into this. Uh, but now we want to zoom in on verse 1 and think about what does the Holy Spirit want to teach us today about the mark of our own faith. Okay, so when we, when we meditate on the Bible... Um, what that means in a, Christian concept, in a Christian context is that we pause and we think. We chew on the concept over and over again. We might pray through a verse. And so it's one thing to read the Bible, go for it. It's a, it's a whole different exercise to meditate on what the Bible says. So one of the things we'll do this fall is we'll meditate on every verse of Romans 12. Um, so going through it, you don't have to have some sort of seminary degree to do this. You just zoom in and you think about what does each phrase mean and what is God saying to you as a result of that phrase. Okay, so we could look at it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. So this is after all that you know, amazing like mercy and theology that, that the first 11 chapters of Romans unpack. Then you get here and he says, in, in view of what God's done for you, I want you to, I plead with you to give your body to God. I was thinking in the common parlance today, like the way that I would probably say that if I was writing this, is I don't think I would say body. Do you think you would say that? I was thinking it, would, it would feel smoother if you just said give yourself to God. But it says body. So that made me think, why would he single that out? If, if we just said, hey, give yourself to God, that sounds lofty, but it's also a little bit abstract. It's kind of out there. So you could kind of do that and then go right back to the life you used to live. But if you give your body to God, there's something sort of, well, physical about that, right? Something kind of gritty and obvious and, and tangible. 
It, it would mean that if, if I look at my body and say, okay, God, I'm giving you this. Like, this is what I inhabit. This is where my choices are made. This is where my actions and words and thoughts, like everything's generated from this. So, Lord, that's what I'm giving to you. My lips, I give to you in view of all that you've done for me. My hands, like the things I'm going to go do, uh, Lord, I give that to you. My eyes, the things I'll choose to look at, giving that to you. Just every aspect of our physical self, we say, Lord, all of that is now yours. So Paul says, in view of all that God's done for you, I plead with you, give, your, give all of you to God. Give your body to God. Okay, next phrase, because of all he's done for you. And you might think back of all the things that he's done for you. You go, wow, like he created me, he saved me, he gave me second chances and third chances, he, he helped me, he answered my prayers, he cared for my family, he gave me a new path forward. I mean, God's done so many things for us, and so in view of all of that, Lord, I, I want to give myself to you, my body to you. And then, then he says, let them, that is your bodies, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament time, sacrifices were far more common, and people would actually bring an animal, kill it, and put it up on an altar, and that would be a, so, sort of the symbolic gift to God. And the, the sacrifice had various purposes, and you could read the Old Testament, see all different kinds of sacrifices people had made, but essentially, you would take something of value to you, you would set it on the altar in front of a priest or something, and then you would back up, and you had given that thing away, and it's no longer yours to control. So here, Paul is saying, I plead with you to give your body as a living sacrifice, which means instead of just being dead and sitting on an altar, you're going to take your living self, like you, and say, Lord, in every way I'm giving myself to you. And I'm taking my hands off and saying, it's all yours. Well, that's quite a tall order, right? To give, give everything you are to God. A living and a holy sacrifice set apart for his purposes. No longer, it's not some sort of partnership with God where you're like, hey God, like, why don't you help me lead my life? Uh, Lord, I, I'd love for you to be my co-pilot. No, this isn't, this isn't exactly that. This is... God, I'm taking my hands off the wheel, and you can drive. I, you, I, I'll, I'm here, but you're the leader of my life now. You're the Lord, not me. And then the text says, this is truly the way to worship him, which is a really important thing for us to go, grab a hold of, because where, if you, what, what do we call the thing we're doing right now? Like, what kind of a service is this? A lot of people would say this is a worship service, and we just had a worship team lead us in worship songs, which is all great, but could somebody go through, could somebody be here, watch the team, sing along with the team, and not actually worship at all? Sure. Because worship's actually your heart level commitment to God. It's, it's, how, it's how you've surrendered to Him or how you've set yourself on that altar and said, Lord, I'm all yours. The, the music just reflects that heart of surrender. The giving just reflects the fact that we're giving out of worship. It's, the giving itself isn't the worship. The giving is coming out of our worship. 
saying God is worth more to me than anything else, and so I'll sing about it, I'll give, I'll share, I'll volunteer. I'll, all those things are expressions of worship. They aren't worship themselves. Actual worship is when you put yourself on the altar and you say, okay, Lord, it's my whole life is yours. Okay, so be, being a Christian is most of all declaring that Jesus is Lord, not just of the universe, but of you. But ironically, it's probably easier to say Jesus is Lord of the universe than he's the Lord of you, right? I was thinking about if there was some sort of like cosmic theology test, I'm pretty sure I could get an A plus on the official cosmic part of it. Because it would be, you know, did God create everything? Yes. Is God all-powerful? Yes. Is Jesus the rightful Lord of everything? Yes. I, I, a plus on all that. The part of the test I would struggle with would be where it says, okay, now here's the personal side. Is Jesus Lord of the things you're doing, Dan? Say, well, sometimes. I want him to be. Not, not every time. Because that's where somehow there's a disconnect between theology and lifestyle, right? And so closing that gap is when we realize Jesus is Lord of, of us. And being a Christian means that we've declared that to be true. You ever heard the statement, you have to give up to go up? Usually people mention this in kind of business contexts where maybe they're trying to grow as leaders and somebody will say, oh, you have to give up to go up. And, and what does that mean? Usually it's when someone is wanting to advance in their career or maybe climb the corporate ladder, but they start to realize that in order to have a higher position, they have to actually give up their own freedoms. Usually people get into leadership because they think it's the other way around. They think, man, if I could just be in charge, I could do whatever I want. And as soon as you're in charge of something, what do you realize? And I wish I wasn't in charge of anything, then I could do whatever I want, right? So if you're going to go up, you have to give up. You give up your own freedoms. You give up the right to say whatever you want or to do whatever you want with your time. And the higher you want to go, the more you have to give up. So I think it's similar in our Christian journey. That the more we want to follow Jesus, the more we want to experience his kind of life, the more we have to give up our own control and let him be the leader of our lives. So, following Jesus means, Lord, I give up my right to make the final decisions about my life. It means I surrender my leadership in order to gain his, which sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So, what would that look like? If Jesus is my Lord, then he's the one making the final decisions about what happens in my life. It's not really a tough question to answer, I suppose, um, you could do a test right now and say, is Jesus your Lord? By just saying, well, is he making the final decisions about what happens in life? If you'd say, Man, I, don't, I don't think I've really asked Jesus about what's supposed to happen in my life. He's probably not your Lord. Right? You're still the Lord if you're the one making the call. But when you've set it all on the altar, when you become a living sacrifice and you say, now Jesus, I'll follow you, well, now he starts to direct you and you start seeing his words in the Bible with, in a different light because now you're going, that's my Lord, that's my boss, that's my master talking. I, I'm here to do what he wants, not what I want. It's helpful for me to add a little bit of a, I don't know, personalization to this. 
Because, again, you know, when it's, whatever happens in my life, that's a pretty big category. Every, everything that's ever happened to me is in that category. So zoom down a little bit. Say, is Jesus making the decisions about ha- what happens in my private life? Is he get, get all the way as close to you as possible and just think about what you think about, what you do when no one else is watching. Is Jesus Lord in those moments when nobody else can see the screen or nobody else can hear your thoughts? Nobody else is dictating what you ought to do. Is Jesus Lord in that moment? Or you could say, is Jesus Lord of my public life? The way I talk, the way I act, the things that I do when I'm in public. Is Jesus Lord of my work life? Is he making final decisions about how I work or what I do? Or is, is that somehow like, do I think that's my role to make those choices? You can go through all sorts of areas of life, school life, or is Jesus Lord of the, your family life, your financial life? Sex life, emotional life, every category of life, right? Jesus can be Lord of all those things. Some people feel like their emotions are out of control, and maybe they are. Maybe there's work to do in that category, but a very meaningful first step is to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of all of me, including my emotions. So I'll give those to you. Lord, you tell me, you, you guide me from here. Or your future life, the plans you make, the things that you aim to do. Lord, I, I yield those to you. Paul wrote to the Colossian church, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your lives be built on him. Every part of your life be built on him. So I, I, I'd like to make it practical as much as possible. And as we go forward into Romans 12, we'll find lots of ways of, in which sort of the, the life of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus will touch different parts of what we do. and will kind of inform our responses to things or our attitudes or our actions. Um, but here at, the, at this kind of most basic level of what does it mean to say I'm a Christian, to say that Jesus is Lord and I'm not, I like, I'd like to understand how to do that. So, so here, are, here are four things that I think give us a pathway. Okay, first one, yield your sense of purpose to him. So you open your eyes in the morning and you think about why am I here? Why did I wake up? Well, if you're your own Lord, then you think, well, what do I want to do today? And how do I get what I want? You might even push people around or argue or something to get what you want. It's a whole different experience if you open your eyes and think, what am I going to do today, Lord? What would you like me to do today? Why am I here? Uh, Another aspect would be to yield your sense of identity to him. So if you say, yeah, my first modifier on who I am as a human being is not actually my opinions or my politics or my gender ideology or any of the rest of it, my first modifier is that I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And now everything else from that point forward has to be referenced to the fact that Jesus is the Lord of all of that, not me. So I don't get to just do whatever I want or follow my feelings. Instead, I'm following Jesus, the Lord. You say, Lord, as far as who I am and who I'm becoming, I'll I'll yield that to you. What's exciting about that is that, uh, that uncovers the, the you that's actually supposed to have happened all along. Like who God created you to be, you find as you yield to Jesus. 
You're not actually giving up the thing that matters. You're gaining it. Um, But it does take letting go of the wheel, saying, Lord, instead of being my own leader here, I'm going to trust you instead. By the way, I wanted to make a quick mention of the the book that the ladies are doing in book club this month. I would encourage everybody to read it. Uh, It's called To Be a Woman, but it's not actually, I mean, you could read it if you're a guy too. Um, It actually is about the transgender movement and how, and just in the last 10, 15 years, that's exploded across the Western cultures and why that's happened. Um, And also how, as a Christian, what do we think about that? Like, what are we supposed to do with, with that? And one of the most important discoveries is to recognize that the most important part of who you are is not your gender. I'll leave you the book to explain the rest of it, but I would, I would encourage you uh, to pick this up and read it. Whether you come to book club or not, um, this will give you some really needed tools uh, as we all face you know, a different environment, different culture environment that we're in. Yielding your sense of identity to Jesus is part of his lordship in your life. Okay? Third one is to yield your sense of vision to him. You know, where am I going? What am I supposed to do? You say, Lord, I, I'm here to serve you with the life I have. And then the last one is to yield your next decision to him. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. You say, I, you know, I know there's all these really important uh, big, big principles, but just give me something to go do. Well, okay, the next decision that you make, the next T-stop you come to, ask the Lord Jesus what he would like you to do. Now, I don't think you have to get into the mundane every single moment, always wondering, like, should I turn right or left, or should I tie my shoe, or, you know, but you can. I mean, I guess you could ask Jesus those things, but he he gives you enough faculty to figure out some of this on your own, but when it comes to decisions, say, Lord, what would you like me to do? So a couple months ago, I was in Louisiana, and um, I was teaching this principle about your next decision, and uh, it was an evening church service. And a guy came up to me right after church and said, hey, I'd love to take you out to dinner after church and we could just talk about things. Said, sure. So he said, let's go to Raising Cane's. Anybody ever been to Raising Cane's? It's just all chicken. Every menu item is chicken rearranged. It's chicken strips, bread, sauce, and fries, and maybe coleslaw. And that's it. That's like every, every value meal is a rearrangement of those things. So you look up at the menu, chicken, 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 chicken. Um, so he was standing there and he said, all right, yield my next decision. I think God wants me to have the chicken. Well, sometimes it's that easy, right? Uh, Oftentimes in life, it's not quite that simple to figure out what your next move should be. But the heart is, Lord, whatever whatever the next decision I'm faced with, uh, I'm willing to go your way instead of my way. I'm willing to consult with you about what I should do instead of just assuming that I'm in charge of every area of my life. So to wrap up, I want to encourage you with these thoughts, all right? First of all, surrender to God is a tremendous relief. Because here's the thing, the most stressful way to live is when you think you have to control what happens, the outcomes, the people around you. Uh, That will put you under immense stress. The moment you realize that Jesus is the Lord and you aren't, you can take a great sigh of relief. Uh, because now, when you come up to a challenge that you can't solve, you get to look up to God and say, Lord, what would you like me to do? You're not alone in figuring out your next step. 
You're not alone in facing those impossible or difficult circumstances. And so you say, Lord, I choose to surrender to you. I'm going to give up the leadership of my life and embrace your leadership. Um, that, 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 will, um, that will give you so much peace if you take on Jesus as your Lord in that regard. Surrender to God unlocks the full joy and potential of the life Jesus died to provide. And I'm really convinced that of the whatever two point something billion people that would all say, yeah, I'm a Christian, many of them are missing that life. Many of them are Christians either in name only or they're sort of only partially down the road in the journey. Um, And for them, and maybe you're one of them, it's time to take this next step of saying, this isn't just going to be in my mind anymore. It's not just about the church I go to. Lord, I, I want to be a living sacrifice for you and fully surrender my life and, and see where my life goes when you're leading it instead of me. Uh, you'll unlock an amazing amount of potential and joy in your life when you do that. Okay, and then here's the, here's the final thought for today. It's not, not popping forward there. Hopefully those guys will put it up there, but it's that surrender to God is, is the distinguishing mark of who you are as a Christian. It's not your affiliation, it's not your family upbringing, it's not whether you prayed a certain prayer or got baptized in a certain way, Uh, it's not even the daily decisions that you're making along the way. The primary way that you mark your Christianity is your surrender to Jesus as Lord. Um, So my challenge to you is that you would embrace him as your Lord. That we can start this journey saying, I'm a Christian in the fullest sense of that term. Jesus is my leader. All right? would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? We want to pray and reflect on some of these things. And I'll ask you a few questions that you can just in your own heart ask the Lord. Holy Spirit, is there any aspect of my life over which Jesus is not the Lord. Holy Spirit, among those parts of life that come to mind is there any reason not is there any reason for me not to decide to yield that to you Lord Jesus we think about the symbol that marks our faith We know that sometimes we use other images like crosses or the Arabic letter N or a fish or a church, a doctrinal statement or a prayer. But we know in our hearts that you're asking for more than that. that you're looking at 
the inside of us, looking at our motivations and our heart and our the thinking that is inside of us. Lord, you're looking at our will, our, our choice making. And as we think about what it means to declare that you are Lord, I pray that you would give each of us the wisdom we need to know how we should apply that. As we think about all that you've done for us, all the mercy and grace that we've experienced in our lives, Lord, we want to answer this call of Romans 12.1 and offer to you our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, as an act to declare that you are worth everything to us, our true worship to you. Lord, in that light, we invite you to take our lives, just make it personal to me, I invite you to take my life and do with it as you will. Take me in new directions, guide me on new paths. Lord, if there are areas in my heart or life that are neglected or in disrepair or any part of my heart that's resistant to you, I pray that you would show me that. And Lord, that I could yield even that to your loving lordship. We all look forward to seeing where our lives will go when we let go of the wheel and you take control. Today, Lord, we want to take a step on that journey, maybe for some in the room, a first step on that journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you'd stand with me, we're going to sing in response to the Lord a prayer to conclude our service.